Shopping Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave with Ms. Chris Goyer. Chris, how are you? That's right. I'm doing absolutely wonderfully. Thanks, dude. Um, yeah. That was probably pretty fast if you're listening to this on 2X. Sorry, I apologize. Yeah, I definitely do too, man. I can't uh I'm a I'm a fast listener. I guess that makes me think of our 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 buddy at uh, Feedbin who's released uh, what, what does he call it? Air, airplay or something? Air listen? Feedbin's new podcast Air listener show. tool, which didn't, well, one of the, one of the missing features of it was playback speed, which to me is so important that it's kind of a miss that I like, I can't listen to podcasts at one X anymore. Maybe you mm-hmm. ruined me. You even listen to your YouTubes that fast. Uh, YouTube, audiobooks. Everything, man. I, I'm used to it, and I can't do one X. It doesn't make sense. I, I, mm-hmm. I listen. Sometimes I'll accidentally listen to something at one X. I'm like, did they get dumber? I do. It makes you like when I hear people like people who are smart, like Wes yeah. or Scott Talinsky, like, and I hear them like give a one X conference talk in real life. I'm like, dude, what happened to these guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> But it's just, it's just like, are they okay, man? Is this guy? Because yeah, you're one, used to it. They're just, <laughs> yeah, just cruising. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm just thinking, oh, man, they're just like hyper witty, boom, pap, boom, pow. And then it's like, <laughs> what's happened? But it's just normal. It's like, it's like I have created this uh, reality distortion field in my ears, basically. So, um, I hear it, politicians too, because I listen to a lot of political audiobooks and then, you know, like, They'll just be talking very eloquently, and then I'll like my my library podcast or audiobook app will flip out and go back to one X, and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> like, is this person talking so slow they're talking backwards? This is how I feel sometimes. Amazing. I I uh I was on a web whiskey and whatnot recording the other day, and it was Ooh, fun. Yeah, yeah, they did their hundredth show, and Wes and Scott were on it too. And one of the things that came up, uh, not to to rehash it, but just to ask you kind of a similar question, is that like, so as far as these, and I'll I have to put air quotes around it, AI tools um, factor into your life, specifically the ones about about chat. So a couple of caveats there. There's a million different types of these. Like even your spam filters probably using some LLM stuff at this point and training and, you know, and and we know that image tools are such a huge part of this new wave of AI tools. That's not what we're talking about, specifically about the chat-like ones, meaning... Bing's thing and Bard and um, um, and ChatGPT. I always feel weird calling it ChatGPT too because they released this GTP4 model, which is better and more interesting to use, but isn't called ChatGPT. It's they don't use the chat thing, or do they? Or is it is it still ChatGPT and then it just uses the GPT4 model? And maybe that's the I case. think so. And I think you have to like pay right to get the GPT4. If you log in now and open AI, you're using three. Maybe so. yeah, I used it because because of uh, the demo had CodePen in it and it had me mm, yeah, fascinated yeah. on producing producing HTML doc, you know, like kind of full output that way. So I paid them the money. So one of the ways that you can use it, of course, is just to go to openai.com and log in and use it. And you get, a, you know, it's a fairly nice little UI with the with the text box thing at the bottom and it pushes up stuff. But what came up on the show was, are you using these 
chat-based interfaces instead of searching the web? And I feel like the answer I've heard, not only just on this show, but from people all over the place, is like, eh, no, but it's like 50-50. I'm like, 50-50? I'm like, I use these once in a blue moon yeah. for something. Am I, but so when somebody says 50, 50, are they, are they, is, are they, I guess they're dead serious, right? Like if they want to know how border radius works or whatever, they don't type it into Google. They come to one of these things and type it in. Wow. That is not me. Um, no, uh, I, I, I've used it. I, I don't find the chat interface to be compelling to me, I guess. And that's maybe just me. Um, I think GPT language completion models or whatever these are, right? Like these, just the ability to predict a text, a long chain that sounds vaguely human, right? Yeah. I think they're cool. I think they can really help you. Like if you like have no idea what you're writing and you're like, uh, just write me like whatever, a 10 page essay about whales, like boom, it'll spit out a 10 page essay about whales. And it might be totally incorrect. It might be <laughs> somewhat right. But it'll do it, right? I think that's cool because you're like, I'm just going to start from like nothing and get to the point I want to be pretty really quickly. I think that's very cool. I think I struggle because I'm like, I want an outcome. I want a blog post about whales that uh, no one's ever read before. You know, that's just very exciting and very interesting. Do I have like a red paint here what you're, is this you're bleeding man am i bleeding i'm like oh i am yikes um <laughs> you feel free to take five it's like a bullet wound we'll be okay i i got another change of shirt what is going on though that's sorry about that um you have an outcome in mind was so it when you're using an ai tool you want something out of it so i i want like an an outcome right and so I think I get, I struggle with like, okay, what prompt do I have to write to get the outcome I want, you know, or, or like what series of prompts I think like you have to be more like improv, like, Hey, I'm going to like, let's just type and see what comes out and then I'll sharpen it and hone it to what I want it to be. I, I think like you need that attitude. Whereas like for like programming, for example, it's like, I know what I want to code. So I, but I don't know what to type to make the computer code that. So I'd rather just code it, you know, like I, I think I stumble with the idea that the prompt is the interface, that the prompt is the API, the prompt is the genesis point for like how to yeah, like. Right. Um, so producing writing is like a pretty niche case for these things. I think like I, I get that that's what a lot of the dis it's about, you know, teachers being sad that, there, you don't have to write an essay about whales anymore because it's already produced for you. That's a feel that feels pretty niche. Like, sure, we need to talk about that, but is that what people are actually asking these things for? I think probably not. It's probably more like I'm applying for a job, or or give me some ten help things to do in Austin, Texas. I don't know. People yeah, that's are, interesting. Like, now that's a good one because that's like, of course, you would Google that. But actually, the AI tool might do a better job because there's less crap. You know, it's just giving you some text output of, of things to do and less messy and less like SEO gamed and stuff. That's what I'm fascinated by that being actually something that if you were to switch over and not use Google, but use chat GPT instead that you might get better output for. 
But there's so many that I that I wouldn't trust, you know, like if I, I want to buy some new shoes or something, I'm going to stay on Google for that because you it, it can't. How does it for one thing, it's cut off model date is so old. Like, I don't want shoes from three years ago. You know, I, I need to know who's selling shoes right now and that type of thing. I just I'm wondering what the 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 Google search is history is for someone who says they they, they now do 50% or more of their searches have completely moved over to chat GPT or a similar tool. What does their chat history look like? What were they Googling that, that has made this, this possible? Fascinating. This is really, I'm, I'm just asking like, give me 10 things to do in Japan, you know? Um, and it's like giving me some, Pretty okay uh, recommendations. Yeah. So, you know, like explore Tokyo with some neighborhoods listed. Explore, experience Kyoto. Go to Kinkakuji. Gotta do that. Let's see. Visit Hiroshima and Miyajima. Okay. Relax in an onsen. Heck yeah. Explore Nara. Like, that's pretty good. I don't know. I, I guess I just don't think. I, I remember when I was in college um, <laughs> and I was in college and Google had just come out. So there you go. Like how old I am or whatever. But I was like, how does my friend Chase know all this crap? You know, he just knows stuff. Like just, he's like very like just, yeah. or can find the answers and, you know, like very quickly. And I realized he was just good at Googling. Does that make sense? Like he was just like, Oh, good. he just had a skill at it. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he was using some of those like, you know, filters like minus keyword or whatever, you know, like he was, you know, like you can hit like, there's like little right. Kung Fu. So in the grand secret. scheme of things is pretty a simple one, but I'm sure there's lots of really advanced ones. Yeah. But if you're just like site reddit.com, uh, whales and like, you know, like get all the latest stuff sort by latest or whatever, like you can like get some really cool information like Google, you can coerce Google into giving you really good results or like, just like you, you learn, like, I think my original Google would have been whales, you know, and like, you know, that's going to give you just a very broad cast. But like, I think like, you know, I learned like whale, what whales common North America, you know, and yeah. that produced a better search result than just whales, you know? Um, and so anyway, I, that's like all to say is I probably just don't know. I'm not a good prompt engineer or I need to get better at it. So that's maybe that's why I'm not, or I haven't like been like, hell yeah, I'm all in. Or so. Yeah. Maybe you're, and maybe it'd be interesting if you could talk to that person and see, have you, has your excellent Google foo translate? Like, are you now also excellent at using chat bot tools because that's how your brain worked anyway. I wonder. Yeah. I think he's, I mean, he's, I think he has dabbled with that stuff, but I, I Probably. don't know if it's uh, necessarily changing his life right now. So yeah, I'm trying to, uh, trying to like look at my Google search history to see, to see if, uh, you know, what, which of these probably would have been better on a chat tool. Yeah. And there's so few, you know, some of them are clearly, I'm just trying to get somewhere that I already know exists, but I just want Google to just find it for me more quickly. 
<laughs> like the name of a city or, you know, a common one for me lately is like a really badly misspelled Tears of the Kingdom shrine that I just need the answer for, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah. So that's obviously a chat tool isn't going to help with that or like the name of a local business or something. I'm just looking at my own experience and being like, I don't. A, a chat tool is just not going to help me with almost anything that I Google. That's why I'm finding it hard to picture this this transition over to. I'm not like asking Google big, breathy questions about life and stuff. You know, it's all it's really just like two word things that I just I just want the most basic possible help with. Well, and you know what gets me to is is I think the more I understand how these works, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I just gave this thing a seizure. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> oh, I'm going to send this screenshot. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just asked it because I was Googling earlier today, like how many websites use a JS framework, like a, a component-based framework. You know, I was trying to figure out like, what's the ballpark of that, you know, like. That might be a good one for it. We, although. Hear, we hear a lot, right? Like, or you think like a lot, you know, like, but like, just like ball, like what's the number? But anyway, yeah. I, I just asked it and it gave me some examples, right? Like React, Angular, Vue, and then it's used by companies like, Xiaomi, Alibaba, Xiaomi, 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 Xiaomi. It's repeating oh, it Xiaomi. Lost itself? It just gave up. It just had a heart attack. It's great. Good, good software, Chuck. Uh, but that's the funny thing, though. It's, it's not trained on data. It's trained on a bunch of words that other people have written, right? So, like, the only way it would know is if other people had good data and other people wrote about that good data that they had. And that's what's weird to me is it's, I feel like, the way I know it it works is it's just like predict a text and then it says like, well, instead of the best word, I'm going to choose the not so best word every once in a while and then kind of keep going, you know? And it's convincing to humans, but it's not exactly, it's not accurate. So why would I put everything in, well, you know, like why would I bank, <laughs> run a business, which I see people do all the time or like do stuff based on it, you know? So I saw an experiment the other day. Somebody was like, we're just going to code an app and let GPT take the reins, you know, take the wheel. And I was like, okay. And I think they kind of made something like a, oh, shoot. It was like a doctor, like, like care quality, care quality, like based on like zip codes or something like that. So anyway, um, uh, I guess it can do stuff. So if you're patient enough, so I don't know. All right. So here's a related one then is, uh, so let's say you, you are like, okay, I need, this is the perfect question for a, for a LLM chat thing. Yeah. You know, obviously during the show, I've already struggled at what, what we're calling these things. It's easy just to say chat GPT, but, uh, but that's kind of what my question is. If you have one in mind and you're going to do it, that's just one of the options is to literally go to OpenAI and log in and use their their tool. And mm -hmm. I think plenty of people do. I've heard people say, oh, yeah, that that's just where I go, you know. But there's starting to be more and more ways. There might be an app that uses that as its API. There might be a different tool entirely. I find myself going to Bard just because I uh, one of the things I did is an arc. I just made one of my spaces that the, like an AI space, and I just have them all bookmarked in that. Oh, okay. In hmm. there, but the, the one I like about Bard is that it's 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 your Google account, which I'm just logged into all the time. 
So I I've never logged out of it. If I click on Bard, it's ready for my prompt. And I find that just a little UX important, whereas OpenAI logs me out all the time. So if I have to use OpenAI, there's always that little bit of, of, of friction. I'm being like, okay, let me log in and then navigate myself back to where I can type in my little prompt. And I'm like, that's never going to work. If, you know, that was the, the point of searching is it just needs to be just this one second after I have the thought, I better be searching for it. Um, that's important to me. So I find Bard nice in, in that way. But even better, I was on the show with 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 the fellas at Web Whiskey and whatnot and a bunch of other people. But Wes was like, oh, he's Raycast. And I've been into the Raycast thing. I think you use it too. You can just you can just open Raycast and type AI and pick the AI chat thing and boom, you're you're going with it. So oh, now that's starting to get into my muscle memory too, is that the, the speed of getting to somewhere where I can type one in really fast is crucial to me. And then on my phone, I have the wavelength. It's like a chat app. Okay. We should almost yeah. be friends yeah. on it. But what's kind of cool is it's like a chat app, but any in any chat with anybody, you can just type at AI and it will uh, spit out an AI answer in the middle of the chat. That's kind of the first take on that I've seen, but it makes it kind of fun because it's like in the middle of a conversation you're having about something else, you can be like, oh, you know, fact check that really quick or, you know, yeah, interject some AI content. It's kind of a nice take on it, but but then I can just have a chat with just myself and because otherwise I'm like, I don't have like a thing on my phone to do AI otherwise. Like, I guess I could log into the OpenAI website, but I'm not sure how good its mobile layout is and... I'd rather just like have an app quick. I can do it. And so my go-to choice has been this wavelength app. No, that's cool. Uh, okay. There's that. Also the fact that you mentioned that, um, that, that chatbots suck kind of, there's been two articles somewhat recently, one by Maggie Appleton and one by Amelia Wattenberger, two of the best bloggers in the world. Yeah. yeah. They're both just crapping on chatbots as part of this AI stuff. It's like, and it's not even that like, the idea is bad or that LLMs are bad. It's that like the interface of a chatbot is just very limited and kind of annoying. And I just so agree with that. Like I like contextual stuff so much better than me having to use my dumb little fingers to craft exactly what needs to be input into this thing. I find like almost any other interface better. <laughs> And more interesting. Like, yeah, I, I would rather like one of those like vintage Russian computers with ten thousand buttons. I got to flip in the right order, you know. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> yes, you know what I mean. Like, like hallway size computer uh, versus like t using the right f English Phrasing, words yeah. to yeah. And I write all the time. I love using words, 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 words. I don't mind words, but I just feel like then I have to d deliver the context. It's like, don't you just have context a lot of the time that like, for example, in GitHub Copilot, like I don't mind that because like now what I'm doing anyway, the action of doing coding is providing all the context. And thus there's just code being shuttled in front of me at all times. Like the context is just provided. And that's what I, that's what I think is so powerful about this. Like, why can't that happen more often is that just whatever I'm doing becomes the input for a model that's then, then suggesting things. Yes. And, and I think that's what, that's kind of what Amelia was saying, right. In her article was like it, without like 
it knowing exactly what you're working on or what you're doing, the context is really murky. Like you have to tell it everything. And that's, I think where I struggle too, to like type a good prompt is like, I just, uh, what do I have to tell you to get you to do it? You know, like what, what like words do I have to use or, or data do I have to seed to you? What, you know, that's the stuff I, I don't know that well. Um, I've been talking to people like it, I think like, uh, some big companies or whatever, but they like what where they're seeing the value is like is not these large language models, but like basically the same tech, but applied to their data set. So it's like if you're like looking at your Stripe data, you can be like, what in the next month, who's going to lapse? Who's going to churn based on like whatever trends we're seeing in our customer data or something like that? Like if you like. I'm sure this stuff exists, but like this, like pre-intelligence or something that would be like useful, you know, like you could be like, okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to give these people a free month off and make them feel good or whatever. You know, I don't know. That's silly, but like, like maybe there's like, if you had that sort of stuff, I, I feel like it's more powerful with your data than me. Like, hi, give me 10 ideas for reducing customer churn. You know, that that's, I don't know. That's, it would be more better to be like, look at my data, yes. tell me who's about to flip off, and then like, like let me let me catch them, you know, or, or there you go, or ask them questions, or get engaged with them, or something. That's what, so. it's not hard to imagine a future in which that models like this are just constantly being fed context from what you're doing, and thus really are suggesting things you know like if you if you're like oh where's a you know a, a good food cart around here and have the thing be like you know it's raining right be like oh really thanks model you know thanks, or whatever model. yeah like oh you're in portland well cool like so brunches are super popular but you're gonna have to be there by like eight or else like it fills up you know or something I don't yeah know, like, but there's one three blocks away that is totally empty or what you know is i love that give me that level of stuff. I, I, that's where I like copilot. Like um, it, it is, it's in my code base. It kind of has an idea of, you know, if I fed it, if I had more types, I'm sure it'd be more intelligent, but like it would, <laughs> Never. Uh, damn it. Uh, but like it, it's in my code base. It kind of knows what I'm working on and it has context and can suggest similar stuff to what I have. Right. Um, you know, it's, sometimes it does just invent properties that are not on my objects and stuff like that and whatever, but like it gets me kind of close sometimes, you know? And so, um, I, I, that's what I like about Copilot is it's so specific to the code repo I'm working on and the language I'm working on. It's not suggesting C code. That's cool. Like, so, yeah. Um, I wonder what the opportunities for refinement are with it. Cause it's, you know, I heard that from somebody I was, you know, I was at the farmer's market with a guy runs a bunch of restaurants here in town. Interesting guy. And he's, he follows the stuff or tries to, but from a non-tech perspective. So he's like, oh yeah, I've been playing with it. I had to do catering the other night and I, uh, I asked it to make a tapas menu for me and it did okay. But then, you know, he, he had already internalized the idea that you don't just type something in, you get it. And that's that, which is a little bit true of just googling something right if you want different results then you better ha you have to go back up and change stuff or whatever but with with this chat like interface it's one of their strengths i think is that you can be like yeah that's close but like i don't have you know i'm not that into pine nuts or whatever 
and it will give you that same menu perhaps and it has changed it has replaced some recipes doesn't have pine nuts in it you can you can communicate back and forth with it until it has produced this perfect tapas menu for you really cool you know i think that's the if that's what you need out of a model then that chat interface is actually a good one I don't know where I was going with that necessarily. But then if I tell him, oh, you know, here's how I use it. It's just built into the tools I already use as a developer. And it has a crap load of context. So as I'm writing, it's just digesting what I'm doing and and presenting me this ghost code out in front of what I'm doing. And and I got to tell you, man, it's right a lot. I think that's impressive to people that have otherwise been left to their own to figure out how this can be useful to them. Us developers have been like shown very clearly how it's useful to us. And yeah, like, you know, I, I framer, uh, recently launched an AI product, right? Like a framer AI, you know, and you say, build me a website and it'll do it. Right. Um, I, you know, the, the demos they show are very high quality, very, high class you dig into the page like there's no h1 whoops uh there's no you know there's a uh like no links and stuff like that you know like the you know but but like it's a pretty good looking web page that you could like fix up and and tweak but i think you know so that's actually kind of cool that it's doing that um i i What's not clear is the, the how they seeded or what they said to the computer to make that page. You know how how much do I have to type to make that page happen? You know, um, and so I I think I just have like I think I just have questions about that. Maybe I just need to go all in on playing with AI, but I don't know. I have a job, so I don't know how I do that. But um, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, of course, of course, immediately saw the tweets be like. Oh, designers are over. Yeah, that were that were serious. They weren't even jokes. You know, I'm like, oh, do do people still think like that? Have we have we learned nothing? Yeah, is the yes, like, they do still think like that. I think it should be said like one version of design is like just get pretty pictures, but like the value of a designer is not just getting pretty pictures that turn into code. You know. It's it's like strategy. It's knowing what works. It's like having I don't know, like an opinion, having kind of zigging when everyone's zagging. There's all kinds of different stuff that goes into good design, right? So the most rote of the of the of the portion of design is what's 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 out what's is being gobbled up, and yeah, that's true. It's not like this industry never changes. I mean, we did live through the, you know the absolute gutting of the $1,000 website, for example, you know? Yeah, no, that's is like Squarespace, Wix, and all that have basically eaten that whole entire market, you know? So, I mean, maybe, maybe the threat is actually for those guys, you know, like somebody, there's now a $2 website, not the $10 a month website thing, you know? So maybe that's, maybe that's where things are headed. So, or who knows? Maybe they'll take me out too. I don't know. So, <laughs> good. Please release me from this prison. At least pay, give me universal basic income, though, so I can like go farm or whatever, or clean yeah. oceans. I don't give. I don't care. Let me, let me go do that. So we can go be Applebee's line cooks. Dave, Dude, I'd, I'd 
I'm, I ain't afraid. I'll do it. So no, me neither. Um, let's see. What else do we got kind of cooked up on our little page of glory here? Should we do a user question? That might be kind yeah, of Yeah, listener question. Steven writes in, I find myself the lead developer in an agency focusing on custom WordPress sites for 120 clients and growing. Ooh. Wow, awesome. Uh, everything's running smoothly except our new designs. Uh, we have a designer who sees uh, uh, terms like embeds and uh, as developer speak, and, and they aren't interested in learning the web rules. Uh, it's become an issue when they select a font that only lives in design tools and is not found for purchase or download anywhere. Uh, communicating the rules, the dev team is like, is not trying hard enough or taking control from design. Uh, the designs I get are usually pretty difficult and time intensive to hit. Uh, designs are page by page. Margin padding rule changed drastically from page to page. I've been doing this seven years and I've struggled to get the layout correct. And um, my junior dev finds it impossible. Okay. How do I get the designer to work with us? Uh, I would Oish. love to get them designing components since that's how we build. Um, and uh, yeah, just, uh, I don't know. There seems to be some like terms like dev speak and, you know, designer doesn't do dev speak. And that's wild. There's some real disconnects happening here. Like just the fonts one is funny to me. Like that a designer thinks that they can just pick absolutely any font on the earth and then just assume that it's going to work on the Here web. Here you go. It's 20 house industries fonts. Like, yeah. like ooh, yikes. <laughs> this is a 50 grand yeah. website. That yeah. one's pretty basic. And I might put that in this day and age, I might. Um, it just seems like one sentence can clear that up. Be like, oh, the we... we, we we have access to these type of fonts for budget reasons and because they're produced to work on the web. Not every font is that works on a computer. You know, it's like a, it's not a long learning process. It's a pretty clear one. You just like kind of learn that once and then that's, that's hopefully that's smoothed up. Um, and the fact that it hasn't and as continues to be a problem means that there's like some people stuff going on. But I do read this and think that there is some, it's not a one-sided thing. I, I don't read what has written here by Stephen and say, Stephen is right and designers are wrong. Um, there's certainly that it's the, when things go wrong like this, it's wrong for two reasons. You know, it's like every, every divorce is, <laughs> is, is a two-sided street, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I just see that there needs to just be more talking and planning around that stuff. You'd think you could be able to show them a design and be like, see how this one, there's very little spacing around it, but on the very next page, there's a whole bunch of spacing around it. Which one do you prefer? Is there a good reason why they're very different? Could we middle ground that? Could we establish that as a variable that's used over and over? That kind of stuff is like, I'd like to call it just e easy communication. Like that's just something you just, you knock, you do a meeting, you talk about that, you agree and you move on. And if you can't agree and it continues to be a problem, then th there's, there's a human being problem happening there. Not a technological problem. Yeah. Um, it does seem like you're in a toxic relationship and <laughs> there you go. There's probably some, uh, TikToks you can watch about that. Um, yeah, I I have been in in similar situations, not so much with my my two coworkers, but just like, um, 
you know, just the occasional consultant or, or like embedded person. And we were the consultants or whatever that we kind of came around. Um, it's hard, man. Um, and, and I think like the, you, you also kind of have to look at like what you can do as a person. And, and one thing you can do is, is try the whole, like, I'm just going to say yes. And I'm going to be like full improv. You hand me this weird design and page one and page two are different. You say, cool. Like I'm going to do it. Um, uh, like I see some differences here. Let me outline those differences. And like, if we don't want to fix them, like what you're saying, Chris, like if we don't want to fix this, it's just going to take extra time, you know? And then that, that X takes extra time is a, is a buzzword that should go up to management, you know, and they should be looped in on these conversations, you know, you know, and it may, you know, it, it sounds like this person is not seeding control uh, at all. You know, um, they got a job designing websites and they don't know how websites work and that's a bad deal. So, you know, I think like building in components is cool. Uh, yeah. But they may not be there yet. They may not understand that yet. Um, yeah. Wouldn't that be ideal if you could say, hey, we build in components around here. You like Figma, right? Figma can do components. Build like that. That seems like a little, that's a, like a lot to add in one day. Be like, can you change the entire way you design? Yeah. Yeah. They, they can't like redo that overnight. So there's, it's going to be kind of like what, what is the biggest pain point? Um you know, designing page by page, you said it was a big deal. I think um, margin padding rules changing drastically. Like, um, seems like this person doesn't want to work, <laughs> and so or like doesn't want to like do the job to help development. Um, so you could maybe raise that as management. Like, hey, we we're in a toxic, condescending relationship with our design, and so like we either need your help to fix it or like we, we just like, or every project's going to take like five times longer. Cause we're doing very bespoke non like non repetitive coding, you know, um, it, or have a conversation about like, what could we systematize? That might be a good way to start a conversation. Like what about our designing process? Can we systematize? Cause right now we're doing a lot of one-off work and, and that's really expensive and churning and uh, leads to mistakes and, you know, bad mobile stuff or whatever. I would also say this is, I'm a big fan of this hmm. write down specific events and observations and maybe start a conversation that way. On June 7th, we did, I was asked to code this layout. It resulted in like that page taking five days, you know, because it it's kind of just so different than the normal page. Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? Rather than having this emotional kind of flinging things around about how they act and how they feel, that's too, yeah, It you, you need to be have the specifics of the events down yeah. because if you don't have specifics, then you, you almost got to wonder if you're, if you're right in a way, like, I feel like it's that important. That yeah. Me no likey isn't going to work. <laughs> and, no. uh, they're being mean to me. Doesn't uh, really work either. But like, if you're like, Hey, on this event, like we did this and you know, um, 
I, I think I, I had this conversation with my coworkers recently. You know, we end up a lot of the time in a uh, por qué no los dos, why not both situation, you know? And like mm-hmm. once in a while, that's great. But like when it's like a lot of decisions are hitting por qué no los dos, it's like, well, now I have like two systems and I have my my view files are just like 10,000 if statements, you know? And like, so the code is almost impossible to work on because, or or parts of it are like, oh man, I don't want to work on that file, you know, because there's so much mm. logic kind of happening right in there. So, um, yeah. you know, so I, I like had to kind of document that and bringing that up, you know? So I think like whatever you can do to like, interesting, you know, I, I think it's, it's, I think documenting is probably your best, like evidence-based discussions, you know, because sometimes you don't even have to say anything. You just say, this happened on this date, this happened on this date, and this this was the result, you know? And, and people are like, oh, I didn't realize, you know? So I've done that for yeah. big companies, small companies. Like, you just kind of, it, it helps. So. Best of luck with all that. Tricky, tricky. Not yeah. my favorite. Not my favorite. So, Felix, yo, that's just a quick, quick topic suggestion about the CSS property content visibility. Haven't heard a lot about this recently. Perhaps you'll remember. I think it was back in 2020, about when it was kind of becoming a thing. I remember a, I believe it was back when old Jake was at. Um, Google, he took like some really super, I think ironically, it was like the HTML spec. Oh, it was the spec or I thought I was imagining it was like the HTML page on Wikipedia or something. It was some extremely long HTML page. And he said, look, if we, if we make content visibility auto or whatever the one is that, that kind of prevents it from being rendered generally by the browser until it's closer to being in view to most of this page, that the rendering time for this page gets, just gets a lot faster. So, which kind of painted it as this tool, like it's a, it's a performance focused tool and you do it when you're you're in kind of extreme situations where the you know the page is just so long or so big in some way that we need to like give a clue to the browser like yo chill out on these parts of the page uh because you can render them late it's kind of like deferred rendering for for chunks of the page mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but i it didn't it hasn't turned into a best practice in the last couple of years i'll tell you that I never hear about this anymore. Yeah, it was kind of like if you had like a, you could be like section content visibility auto, and then you set like a height or something. What was it? The uh, is content. Yeah, I think you did need to give it some kind of a just to give it a like a clue of almost like we talked about the sizes attribute last week. It's kind of like a hint for the browser to kind of know what's going on without having to render it because the point is don't render it. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like trying to get you to not render this thing. Contain intrinsic size, it was called. Contain which intrinsic was size. Yeah. A little a little strange. And it, it, it didn't have to be perfect anyway. Yeah. It was a clue of like, it was a, because what it, the point is that once you get close to it, it needed to then decide, oh, I am going to render this. That kind of thing. And yeah. maybe it was for scroll bars to be a little more accurate, too, d- despite the fact that they weren't rendered yet. Yeah, it was almost like a like loading lazy for content, like you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. But you could basically just be like, eh, paint a box, draw a box about a thousand pixels tall or something, you know, what, however, you know, 
yeah. whatever number I put here, 300 pixels. And then like, but when this is close, then like, let's render it, you know? So I think that was kind of the idea of like, rather than the browser having to figure out all the pixels before it even touches the page, it could just kind of like do section by section or something like that. And so, yeah. And did it, didn't it have another prerequisite too? You had to contain it too. I or think you had, you to had say- contain in line or something or con- contain Contain is tied to the containment spec, which again, I'm, yeah, I wonder if they did like a uh, uh, what do they call that when like well, if like say there's downtime on a website and then your your team gets together to talk about it. What do you call that? Like a post requiem or a <laughs> uh, uh, post mortem? Yeah, post mortem. If you did a post mortem on containment. I wonder it would be like it had too many prerequisites or something, and that's why people didn't use it. I don't know for sure that people didn't, don't use this, but it doesn't really seem like it. But the fact that you had to contain it, then remember this keyword. You had to remember to use it at all. Then it had a prerequisite. Then you had to use it. Then you had to guess at a height. There's just too much, and people are like, no. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like I tried to use it on my bookshelf, which I thought would be like a really good uh, example of it. Like, like, cause it's in sections, it's really long, it's really slow to paint. And I, it didn't, I don't think it made it faster. I think I was running perf tests and it wasn't improving it. And so I kind of backed out. It should have, but yeah, I think I just wasn't, I wasn't getting the gains from it. I think if you're in a situation where you have an ultra long page, maybe it's worth it. Like, Right. I mean, shoot, even like a homepage, it might be worth trying it to see if you can squeak out some, you know, uh, time to whatever interactive yeah. or whatever it is. But also it's it would be it would be based on, you know, if you change that page, then you'd have to remember to go into the CSS and be like, is this still right? Are my heights still about correct? Are my is things named correctly? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it kind of moves you have to take care of the CSS when you take care of the HTML, which is a little hard to remember sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally crapping out. It was kind of cool. I mean, it, it's nice to see performance-focused things show up in CSS. So don't don't hate that it exists, but I just don't think it was a it's a hit product <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Well, and it's in Firefox nightly, but not in Safari. So could it be part of a build step? Could you send your thing through a puppeteer and have it decide what's off screen on an average screen size and apply these things automatically to your build? That's the kind of stuff that excites me. Not that I want that technical debt, but I just like it when things are are automated and that computers are used to do things that computers can do best. Yeah, that's I mean if again, ruthlessly eliminate nuance, our theme for the show. <laughs> Is like if somebody would just be like footers always in visibility, you know, content visibility. Don't even think about it. I'd be like, cool, great, that's awesome. You know, like now I know, but I don't know that. So for now, I'm now I don't know. Haven't have you heard? I haven't even heard it brought up in performance conversations. Not that I listen to a ton of that. It's it's fallen out of the zeitgeist for sure. So I think, I think like if you have a very long page, it's probably worth looking at, but if you, that's not you, you're probably, the gains are minimal. So, right, right, right. 
there's other stuff that falled into that category, wasn't there? It's like if you're if you're GitHub and you're doing trying to show a page that diffs 80 files, <laughs> you got some serious DOM stuff going on and you're going to need to deal with that in some way. Yeah, you hit the like limit of DOM nodes basically, like yeah, you know, like some. But that puts you in a pretty unique situation in which that the tools that you reach for, you probably already know about. And I wonder if this was like a prototype or a um, a stepping stone towards like a what is it called v- virtual scroll list or whatever, like like where you're like scrolling through tens of thousands of items, like a contact book or something like that. Like those are very bad performance for just a text or a div overflow or whatever. So I, I wonder if like there's the goal was to kind of build something like that um, or get something like that in a platform. I don't know. Uh, let's do this last one from just because we've been sitting on from Raphael Ferrand. Um, and I'm interested in your take on it, Dave, because he's asking about uh, building components. Like when you're building a design system using web components, would you start from scratch or would you build on top of existing libraries extending the components that have been provided to you you know he wants to know pros and cons of that the obvious ones being like if you start from somebody else's you start with this big robust foundation and have a lot less work to do an obvious con being like god i hope they designed it that that allows me to do what i want the way to do i like it right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so that kind of thing but you yeah, well, why i'm asking the thing, cause you you were in a position where you were starting a new product. You're already a fan of web components, and that you knew that this was no small scale thing. You were doing a startup. So, what did you did you start with anything at all on Luro, Dave? We we use Nuxt on Luro, so I should just come okay. out and say that. So we're it's a Vue product, um, and part of the reason was because I like Vue, but I like the ecosystem too. Like, like there's a lot of Vue modules and Vue uh, Nux modules that kind of help you do app-like things. Authentication, uh, you know, uh, icon scrunching, stuff like that. So I just was kind of like, I'm going to do this for the ecosystem. Um, and, and I also like the meta framework aspect of Nuxt. Um, where view and, and there was really not really a meta framework for web components at the time. Um, now you could argue like Astro maybe fits the bill or something like that. Uh, when building design systems uh, using web components, do you start from scratch? I so the neat thing about web components is you don't have to. Um, like there are Lion ING's Lion is a good one. Um, Salesforce has Lightning Web Components. It's a little that's a little bespoke to Salesforce. I'd probably say for like general use, you know. Okay. Um, Adobe has some web components. Those all kind of have Adobe application vibes, stuff like that. Uh, wouldn't be wrong though. Um, another one I like is Pascal Shilp's generic components, which is pretty like just generic ARIA patterns and stuff like that. Um, mm. Shoelace is a really good one uh, from Corey Lavisca. Uh, yeah. Uh, so shoelace.style and there's a next.shoelace.style, but, um, it's basically just like a, a big list of components and little patterns that you can use and, um, you know, try out. So I would probably like shoelace is actually pretty cool and up on my list. So I would maybe start there. Yeah. Especially if you're in view anyway, right? Cause you, you could 
you there's no reason you can't do both if you're in a pretty frame any other framework than react is what i'm trying to say right? any framework other than react yeah so like and react is supposed to get better um but like like this is like a pretty good system for what what i like about this is there's like you know you can basically say like instead of <laughs> if you like shoelace but you kind of want like your own brand like dave dash tabs or whatever um you can you can say like because it's all class based right you can say like import tabs from shoelace and then custom element define dave tabs as shoelace tabs you know like so like it's just classes and then you can like write little wrappers that give you your like custom branded api if you want to do that yeah um like and I don't hate that to be honest. Like I mean, it's kind of a weird but cool thing you can do with web components where you can do it in like view. You can like import and register the component as something else, but you have to register it every time. This would just be kind of like a bulk kind of setup, you know. So yeah. Um, so I would I like that. Um, so I would maybe start with something. I, I'm kind of. <laughs> The older I get, I'm more like just let's just start using stuff off the shelf. But I know I would write my own. Yeah. But the nice thing about writing my own is I can have Dave dash tabs either be shoelace or my own dang thing, which is kind of cool. So like, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. It's it's like how I distribute it is what matters. Yeah. So. I think I'd be very tempted these days if I knew I was going into a medium to large scale project to pull something off the shelf and use it. And just for the the time savings of that, not to mention the kind of the people understandability of it to, to kind of know and, and be able to show other people who aren't necessarily designers or we're like, here, these, this is the stuff that we got. Yeah. And have them be like, ah, I understand. That's very clear to me. I, and you know, I, you know, I, I will. Add, we have a monorepo, as you you know, and mm-hmm. and we're you know, it's all you know, we're React, so we got all that. But we we have these two folders in there. There's actually there's a bunch of folders um, as part of one of the things folders in the monorepo about packages. So the, and you know, those are the ones that are like at code pen slash. You know, as far mm-hmm. as importing is concerned. And so we have a hooks package and those hooks can be shared across all the different things if you want. And there's one for um, for like uh, one of them we call library at CodePen library. But that one has some rules in it because there's a different one called at CodePen components. So imagine that. And you know, there's a bunch of other ones too. But those two are interesting, right? In order to get into library, there's some rules like you cannot query for anything. There's no, you can't put a GraphQL file. That's our data layer into a library component. That's not allowed. If you, if you do that, it's, and it's, I think it's even enforced at some level, like there's no way to make it work anyway. So whatever. So these are presentational only. Now they're allowed to have props and stuff to change how they look. I think they, they can even digest other library components, although it's not super common, but they, they could, but then there's components and components are more robust in that they can use library components to piece themselves together and often do. But they, for example, are allowed to ask for some data and have their own little queries attached to them. So it's making me think like, man, if we were going to, we could potentially rip all of React out of library if we wanted to and make all of them exclusively web components, mm-hmm. maybe use something like lit or something 
because you need a little help sometimes just to smooth over the experience of using it. But it doesn't need React because all those, because they're so dumb. They, they're just presentational only. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, um, I, I've been thinking about it with all my view components. It's like, what percent of these can be just web components? And like, you can actually like spit out web components from like, uh, you know, from view, like you use like a wrapper thing. Um, but mm. I was just kind of like, but view can also use web components. So maybe what if like part of what if the core of my app was actually just web components, you know? So I, I thought about that as like a big flip. Now we don't have enough engineers to do that, but I would consider like my next thing to be more web component based. So, um, but I would maybe still want to use something like Astro or Nuxt as like my, my, uh, meta framework, you know, and just right. kind of like, like, could I just use that as kind of like my base layer and then, and all the routing and all the page level stuff and all that stuff comes for free. And then like, I just kind of do. That's the hardest part about all this. If you're using some other framework anyway, what's the point and of the web very component? Little. I, I mean, like I would probably stick with what you have. I mean, yeah, I'm not rushing. To, uh, I, I wouldn't even, even if I floated it, it would just get shot down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be shot yeah. down instantly. I, I think it's mostly about distribution too. Like if you're, if your web components have to go to more than just the React site. Ah, uh, there you go. If your components have to go to the Drupal site, to the Java site, to the old Rails site, to the, right. you know, and you're trying to like. They're actually you, portable if they're web components. They're portable. And, and like, hopefully you're not like giving them to different places and saying like, go figure out your own build process, man. Hope that works. You know, like hopefully mm-hmm. you're giving them a distribution or something like that. And so that's, that's the, critical part is like, uh, I think like the ability to go to multiple things makes it so much easier. You can just write, you don't have to webpack anything or feet or do any smooshing. You just have an HTML API for, you know, components. Okay. Well, that's pretty satisfying. Yeah. So it will be a slow growth round. We don't see any, uh, uh, change in the weather for web components, you know, they are what they are. They are supported nicely. There are plenty of reasons to use them and, uh, their usage on the web will, will, is probably not going to skyrocket, but will slowly grow. Yeah. I don't think it's going to skyrocket. I mean, I think if, I think when, and if react puts this into, I think 19 or something, maybe it's on in going in 20 or something. Mm. I think people will start to rethink, the reality of what is possible. So I think everyone or the zeitgeist of the web is just so locked into like web components are stupid because they don't do the one thing I like, you know, like I think once they're in react, the attitudes might change. So yeah, people find, I get into internet discussions and people find the idea of a buildless web, like totally unachievable. Like, that's not even a real thing. You know, it's like, no, like people who are using web components are living this life where like the code you write, like I can NPM or like import lit from Skypack or whatever. And guess what? Like I have a buildless component system in my library and it's awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. That ESM future 
without a build is is pretty cool. Now I, I know that that that's why people think oh these two guys are so old and ridiculous and no they think yeah yeah but but uh, you know I don't know if if that if there's you know there's a number of quotes I associate with you over the years is you have a knack for that kind of but one of them is about like I you know uh, hope I should be able to I almost want to look it up but instead i'll just paraphrase and get it wrong was that like there's a lot of there's uh, you know of all the build process i preside in or websites i worked on over the years it was like there's a lot of code transformation pipelines and the thing that tends to go wrong over time is code transformation pipelines like that's what breaks always that's what breaks you're not like oh man my the HTML in my header.php just hit the bed, you know? <laughs> that doesn't happen. It's no. the what gulp can install Chokidar 4.0. <laughs> Where am I? What universe am I in right now? You know? Right. So. And even if you can surmount that, it's like how many hours did you sink into that? Like you're a human person, right? Who's subject to deadlines and burnout and and these types of things and being accountable for the productivity you have in the world. And it's like, yeah, okay, you can fix that problem. But how many hours did you spend doing it? I don't know, man. I spent zero. Yeah, I spent zero. <laughs> and I did not have turbo arch X64 binding issues. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a buildless future. It can, it exists. It's just like, I, I think our corporate imagination is stunted so by the ecosystem and that's just a, the price we pay for gains right like we're, we're all making cool crap and stuff like that but like our our imagination to imagine a better future is so like just stunted so all right we should wrap it up here thank you dear listener for downloading this in the pad catcher choice be star heart favorite up there so people find out about the show uh we are heading into summer uh <laughs> No announcements yet, but we don't know what's happening. So we'll just see what's going on. Uh, We'll keep you posted. And then, uh, yeah, but uh, stay with us. Be sure to stay subscribed and all that. And then, uh, yeah, join us in the Discord. We'll be there all summer, of course. So uh, join us in the Discord. So, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I mean, rest assured, if we miss a show, which is not planned yet, but might happen uh, in August, which is very happens so rarely over the years for us. It's either because Dave and I opened an Applebee's and we're busy with that, or we're camping. I hope it's camping. I hope it's, <laughs> I'm going to be in San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. ShopTalkShow.com.